Hello, everybody. Hello, Lou. Hello. Can you believe we are at episode 150? Yeah, this morning when I set this up, I'm going 150. Wow. We just flew through the last 50, though. That's right. We did. Yeah. I have to tell you, friends, I have enjoyed doing chapter 13 and chapter 14 immensely. So I hope you've enjoyed it, too. It is the very philosophical parts of the Gita, chapter 13 and 14. This has been a great journey. And, and, and again, a lot of this is stuff that we heard before in the first few chapters, but now we're much more equipped to deal with it. Makes more sense to us now. Very enlightening. We get another few layers down on all this information. Right. So today we're going to be talking about chapter 14, verse 14, verse 15, and verse 16. So what he's talking, what Krishna is talking about here to Arjuna is explaining is a question that many of us have to say, you know what? You want me to spend this whole life in a boring fashion, quote unquote boring, not have fun, not stay up till late at night, uh, not sleep till 10 o'clock in the morning. What's the fun in all of that? <laughs> and I give up all of this in this lifetime. And what's the benefit? What benefit? I die and then what happens? Right. What Krishna says here is what will happen to you when you die, if your, if your sattvic guna is predominant, what happens if your rajasic guna is predominant? What happens to your, if your tamasic guna is predominant when you die? So that's fascinating. And you may say, well, I don't really believe it. But then we can talk about that part of it too. So chapter four, verse 14 says, when the embodied being, embodied means the 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 force, the life force that's within us as a being, mm -hmm. the embodied within our body, when the Atman indeed meets death in the predominance of sattva, means when the body dies, but it's predominantly sattvic at the time, predominance of sattva com compared to how much rajas or tamas there is, then he attains to the spotless worlds of the knowers of the Supreme. He attains to the spotless worlds means he, the spotless worlds refers to future births. He attains to the spotless worlds without any blemishes. The next few births, whenever he has, until he becomes self-realized, of the knowers of the Supreme. He's not saying the Supreme. He doesn't say that you will become one with the Supreme if you're predominantly sattvic. He says your worlds will be those of the knowers of the Supreme. So essentially, he says, you will be born in families of those people who are on their way to knowing the Supreme also. Complicated way of saying is that when you're sattvic you, and you die, you, are, you choose your parents and you choose the environment in which you're born in your next life as being very sattvic. So the scriptures at some other place say that when you're born because you're extremely sattvic, you've done good karmas and good deeds, you have a choice of where to go. The person who has done nothing but bad things in his or her lifetime doesn't have a choice. He gets born in what's known as an evil womb. Um, but a sattvic person gets to choose the parents and the family that he comes into. And he gets to choose a family where he can use 
the wealth that they have, because they're usually wealthy, they're spiritual, they're good, decent people, and they allow that child to follow his dreams of being more sattvic. They don't push him into saying, you've got to go into business or doing something that's apart from the journey towards self-realization. Um, Lou, what do you think? Did I make that clear enough? Or Yes, yes. When, when you're sattvic, you get you generally return with like-minded people which helps your journey proceed well explained yes yeah. that's exactly what it is the hard part to realize is that you know we choose our own parents i had a great deal of difficulty with this when yeah. i first heard it and you know there's many ways of explaining that but you know you can pick who you you do pick who your parents are if you have that choice and you say and i don't know how exactly that happens it's not as if you're sitting in an audience with a screen and you say okay how about this father here how about this mother uh this guy is going to be very rich not i don't know how it happens so don't maybe ask. it's like tinder you swipe right or swipe swipe left <laughs> <laughs> right yeah who knows but just like you know, you have a choice of different things. If your desire right now is to say, you know, I, I'm, I'm a, suppose I'm, I'm tamasic and I have a desire, craving desire, a craving for going to the casino. And at the same time, I've got chores to do and I've got to go to work and I've got, but my desire to go to the casino is greatest. What will I do? I will follow that craving to the casino and say heck with everything else. <laughs> so similarly, you know, when you have a desire after you die, and this is the part that a lot of people find hard to understand, that when you die, your desires go. Your body stays behind, but your subtle body, your causal body, your vasanas, your karmas, all continue uh, into the next body. And while the desires are continuing after you die, they choose which body they want to go to, which uh, environment they want to be born uh, again in. Yeah. And here, as an aside, is the question of where heaven and hell come in. Mm -hmm. When a person dies, if he dies in a sattvically predominant state, then he's at peace after he dies. And he's just waiting for the right opportune moment to come back to life. Now, I have read a lot of books on reincarnation, and it's fascinating how long people stay in that period between the last death and the next birth. Um, and some of them can actually tell you exactly how long it was before they were reborn again. And those who are in a hurry to get back don't have as great a choice about which family they were born into. There's one lady, the book is called um, um, I Have Lived Before. I Have Lived Before is the name of the book. Mm -hmm. And it's about a woman whose name is Shanti Devi. And she, when she died, she had a young infant at the time. And she was so, so attached to that infant that when she was reborn, she was born in a family very close, a neighboring village, even though I say very close, a neighboring village was like 100 miles away. Yeah. She was born in that home in a village 100 miles away. 
And she kept saying from the time she learned how to speak that she has to go to that village. Her family was very poor and did not understand why she kept saying that. She also said, look, I don't eat meat. I'm a Brahmin. And this family was uh, not a Brahmin and they forced her to eat meat. And she says, I don't eat meat. It's a long story. I don't want to go yeah. through the whole book with you. But in that case, she described, there was a Scandinavian person who did not believe in reincarnation. And as soon as he heard of this lady, he came from Scandinavia to prove that there was some kind of a hoax or uh, crookedness behind this. When, by the time he finished, he said, I'm now a true believer. And wow. that's, he, he's the one who wrote this book, uh, uh, I Have Lived Before. In that, she says to him that the reason she picked this family was because they lived close by and she could go and see uh, her infant child. She could have picked another family. She was a very sattvic person when she died, but she picked a family which ate meat and did everything opposite. They were not educated. They were, they were poor. They were not people who fulfilled their, their wish to become uh, spiritually greater. She was born in a family lower than where she had died in. But she was able to fulfill her desire to go back and see her infant child. That's a whole other story. But she picked, she was born while that infant was still an infant. She was small enough when she went there that her infant child was older and bigger than she was. And she sat in his lap. <laughs> and there's <laughs> photographs of that. It's a fascinating book. But other people have said they waited many years for the right environment, the right parents, the right families for them to be born in before they were born. So Arjuna says to Krishna, what's the point of all this? Yeah, I'm going to give up all of this enjoyment I have on this earth to follow these spiritual guidelines. And then what? And what Krishna says is that when the embodied being meets death in a sattvic fashion, then he attains to the spotless worlds of the knowers of the Supreme, means he comes back in a family that is conducive to further growth. That anything that you have, which is, let's say you're 60% sattvic when you die. When you're born as a baby, <clears throat> as an infant, you're going to be 60% sattvic. In other words, you know how mothers say <clears throat> that some children are very sattvic, they're very yep. calm, peaceful. They don't cry. Such a good baby. Doesn't trouble me at all. And you'll see that tendency as the child gets older. And from a very early age, he's bright. He's able to do uh, educational stuff. The, all the qualities of sattva that I described in our last episode. That's what this child has. So verse 14 and 15 talk about sattva when it's predominant at the time of uh, death. 15 talks about Rajas and Tamas being predominant at the time of death. And 16 says, what are the fruits of Rajas and Tamas? And what are the fruits of good action, which is Sattva? So a person who dies with Sattva predominantly over Rajas and Tamas, because Sattva only comes out when you've gotten rid of Rajas and Tamas, that person will be born into an environment which is good for further growth of his own uh, personality towards self-realization. Because ultimately, it takes many, many, many uh, births for you to become self-realized. Hopefully, you're continuously going upwards and not downwards again. So in a family well-versed 
in spiritual knowledge, his sattvic nature deserves it and demands it and says, this is where I'm going to be born in a pure spiritual environment. The worlds that he talks about in this verse refer to repeated births. So he grows up in spotless worlds of the knowers of the Supreme. You put in a lot of effort in this lifetime and you're not self-realized, then what? To that extent that you are sattvic, you gain a lot of benefits at the same time. It's not just that you're born with the same amount of sattva in the next life and you're a child prodigy and everything you learned in this life as a sattvic person, you were very dexterous, you learned music and you're now born as Beethoven and at the age of seven you can you know, do a concert. That is true. But at the same time, during that lifetime, while you're becoming sattvic, you also become peaceful, you become productive, you're on your way to becoming self-realized. So it's not wasted. And that is permanent. What does that mean? That you don't lose it in your next life and come down. For instance, look at the analogy. If somebody were to give you a knife in your hand or a gun and say, kill, kill this person, kill this, you wouldn't be able to do it. You wouldn't be able to murder somebody. So you can't go backwards into a tamasic state and be very callous. Only a tamasic person who is already callous and capable of murder can murder somebody. So you as a sattvic person don't go backwards. Um, you can go upwards, but you can't go backwards. It's very, very difficult. There have been people that do all kinds of horrendous things. In our earliest episodes, Lou and I talked about my um, yes. memoirs of a psychiatrist, the Gita memoirs of a psychiatrist, but memoirs of a psychiatrist, in which I talked about uh, hypnosis. And under hypnosis, I've seen the most horrendous of criminals and crimes uh, being committed. Uh, but such people are tamasic. Such people are not sattvic. Sattvic people don't do that. Um, when the body can no longer fulfill its desires, what happens? The body is dropped. The causal body, the subtle body, the vasanas, the karmas go into and get a new body. Your desires keep multiplying and increasing uh, until you then die because the body can never fulfill it. Everything is left behind except the body. And then you, you go to the next birth. And the gunas determine your environment, just like during the day. For instance, if I said before that I want to go to uh, a music concert and the music concert is at the same time as I have, you know, an, uh, an appointment with my dentist and said, now nah, I'd rather go to the music concert. So my desires take me there. Similarly, in the dream. So this is how it, it's like multiple microcosms. In a dream, the same thing happens. My desires are to drink water because I'm thirsty. My mouth is parched in my sleep. What do I do? I create an atmosphere that is conducive to my thirst, to fulfilling my thirst. So in my dream, I dream that I'm walking in desert, hot, sand, 110 degrees. I'm thirsty, thirsty, thirsty. I'm actually asleep in my bed and there's yeah. a fridge right outside. But in the desert, I'm walking and suddenly what does my dream produce for me? A, 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 an environment which fulfills my thirst temporarily. 
I see in my dream a waterfall of ice cold water, continuous, crystal clear, pure water. I go under this waterfall, put my head up, and the water hits me in my face, and I'm just drinking, drinking, drinking. I say, oh, oh that feels so good. I achieve a little bit more sleep until the thirst comes back again. And again, I start to dream of something else that's quenching my thirst. Similarly, when a person dies, that dead um, person, that um, subtle intellect, subtle body, that causal body is actually now having desires. There's no physical body that the desires are now saying, I need this kind of an environment. I need a sattvic environment. And he can demand it because that is, as a sattvic person, he has the right and the ability to get that kind of a, a sattvic environment. After that, you choose your parents, you choose your environment. You will be born in a pure environment where the people around you are seekers. Seekers just like you are to spiritual enlightenment. Um, so between heaven and birth, between death and birth, sorry, you are either in heaven or hell. And that's what I was starting to say before, that it's an aside. But when you are in that period, if you are having a desire that is very peaceful, your mind is uh, at peace, then you're considered to be in heaven. But if your mind is agitated because of your desires, because of your guilt, because of your conscience that says you've done a lot of bad things, because of your fear that you're going to be born and, and punished because of your, then you are considered to be in hell. During that period of time that you're waiting to be reborn again, you are tossing and turning inside yourself with no nothing else to do. And that is what Dante called the um, fires of hell. Inferno, yeah. Inferno. Mm -hmm. So verse 15, meeting death in this, he is born among those who are attached to action. So also dying in tamas, he is born in the wombs of the senseless. So again, Krishna says to Arjuna that a rajasic person, when he dies, his desires propel him to be born in a family where everybody is involved with action. Action to get, to achieve, to uh, acquire, hurry, worry, craving. Um, and those who are dying in tamas are born in the wombs of the senseless, meaning those who are uneducated and only think of themselves and not anybody else. So here Krishna speaks about the consequences of rajas and tamas. A rajasic person is then reborn in an environment full of action. The whole family, everybody is hurrying, hurrying, getting more, constantly having desires, constantly moving, act and acquire, act and acquire, hurry, worry, worry, crave. A tamasic person is and is reborn in an environment of ignorance, inertia, heedlessness, etc. I, I saw one family where... I saw actually two families. One family is saying to the children, act, move, you know, let's go out, let's run, you know, constantly doing, doing, doing. The other family says to the child, let's sit down, let's read a story. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that it's one 
100% over the other, although there are some that are 100% action and zero reading stories. The other is just nothing but intellectual, not so much action, but the majority of it is like a combination of all, but there's one that predominates, Rajas predominates or Sattva predominates. Jain, when I first started going to these lectures, I used to go to Gautam Jain's lectures and I used to take a lot of people that I knew, physicians at the hospital, say, come on, you've got to come. I was eager to take it. And many of them, I kid you not, Lou, they would fall asleep. These <laughs> yeah, are yeah. physicians who a lecture like this, they would be sitting there and I'm watching them to see, you know, what kind of an impact. I hope they like it. They'd be actually asleep. And by the time the end, the lecture finished and I'm saying, wow, this was a great lecture. I said to them, how was it? Oh, it was good. It was good. I could know he's lying because I could see yeah. that he was sleeping. So it depends on your makeup. And yeah. some people can go to a spiritual lecture and fall asleep. You have 500 channels. One person may love MTV or the music, music TV, just for those of you who are not in the United <laughs> States. MTV is music TV. And maybe you have it in other yeah. countries also. But other people can't stand it. I don't right. like this music. I, I would rather watch a documentary. So for every person, if you have 500 channels on your TV, you control the remote. You decide which channel you want to watch. Where does your desire take you? That's the key. So some people love to go skiing. Other people say, uh, it's icy, it's cold, it's yeah. windy, it's minus 20 degrees. Who the heck would want to put yourself through that torture? So similarly, Rajas is, to a sattvic person, torture. He yeah. says, why would I want to put myself through that? To gain another $100, you're going to rush, 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 do this, do this, do this, so you can make, acquire some more money. I don't need it. I'd much rather sit in peace and meditate, sit quietly, enjoy. So you have, each one of you, each one of us has three gunas, the sattva, rajas, and tamas. You decide which one you're going to pamper, and which one you're going to give more importance to. So just like you're sitting in front of a TV, five TV channels, you are deciding which one you want to watch. You can only watch one channel. Similarly, you can only have one guna that predominates. And I hope that you will agree that you want to be sattvic more than rajasic or tamasic. <clears throat> right. Now, you're born with a particular set of desires. Okay. Those are your vasanas. You may have a million vasanas, but you cannot bring all million vasanas with you to this body. You can only bring a certain amount. And that's a given because you can't be born with every vasana there is. But every one of us is capable of having desire for greed, for money, for power, for beauty, for mm -hmm. um, all kinds of things. But you, you have few, maybe a handful, five more predominant ones, right? You, some people care sure. about money more than anything else. Other people care about beauty more than anything else. Third group cares more about power and fame. So you're born with like four or five key vasanas. Those vasanas are known as prarabdha, prarabdha, P-R-A-R, prarabdha. Vasanas. Prarabdha Vasanas, they need immediate fulfillment. Those Prarabdha Vasanas that you 
are born with, they deserve, they demand immediate fulfillment. So they propel you to a new birth. Same as during waking life, you wake up with many desires. You wake up and say, mm, oh, nice, today's Saturday. Uh, what can I do? I can have a, go to Starbucks and I can have a nice coffee and this, eat, or I can go here, I can go to my friend's house, I can go to my house, I can go to the park. You have many desires and you're getting up, you brush your teeth, you start getting a shower, and then one desire is more predominant than others. So you follow that one desire. Um, out of all your desires, the one which needs immediate fulfillment props up and you then say, okay, that's the one I'm going to get. The difference between animals and humans, animals also have prarabdha vasanas, but they live out their entire life just fulfilling one vasana. And it just keeps going from the day they're born to the day they die. That's their only vasana and then they just keep doing it. A human being can, through knowledge, devotion, knowledge and bhakti, destroy a lot of the vasanas in this life. And that's the difference between a human being and animals. You can, you can basically get rid of a lot of your vasanas in order not to become self-realized, but to get closer to that self-realization. If you can get from zero, which is not 100, which is uh, self-realization, but even if you get from zero to 10, you're ahead of the game. Now, verse 16 says, the fruit of good action, they say, is sattvic or pure, while the fruit of rajas is, is sorrow and the fruit of tamas is ignorance. It's pretty self-explanatory. It says rajas, if you're rajasic, it produces sorrow. And I, we've explained this before, that fulfillment just of your own sense organs, sense pleasures, always in the long run produces sorrow. May get immediate gratification, but in the long run, it's sorrow. Tamasic desires produce more ignorance. Now, what does sattva produce? Somebody who's a novice says, oh, sattva produces self-realization. Sattva produces uh, peace. Sattva does not produce anything. Rather, good actions Selfless actions, self-deeds produce sattva. So by doing good actions, it's an upward cycle. By doing right. good actions, you're getting rid of rajas, you're getting rid of tamas, so sattva is produced. So sattva is the effect, the effect of a good action. Sattva is not the cause of right. good action. Sattva is the result of good action. When you act for a higher cause, when you focus on higher values, to help other people, the effect of that purity is sattva. When you remove tamas and rajas, sattva shows up, which means sattva is already there within each one of us, just like atman is already there within each one of us. Sattva is there. You just need to show it. So if you see silver, right? right. My wife sometimes when we're having guests over has a whole bunch of silver things that she takes out and we take the silver polish to, to clean it. Um, I don't know if you've ever done that, Lou. No. <laughs> many people have either some kind of metal, brass sure. or silver. Yeah. You know, it gets tarnished and the yes. silver appears like gray or black in color. And you take this silver polish and you take a piece of cloth and you wipe the polish on it and you keep rubbing it. And the 
tarnish goes away and it starts shining like brilliant silver, like Krishna himself. Um, so it starts shining. That taking off that tarnish with that silver polish is like taking the rajas and tamas away and then the sattva starts to shine. Your atman is in the pure sattvic state. It is covered by rajas and tamas. By good, clean action, you're eliminating rajas and tamas, removing desire, removing the action-ridden, desire-ridden cravings, and removing ignorance. So reduce and remove your selfishness and your sattva and your own atman will start to shine through. So I feel my throat is dry talking of dry throats. <laughs> so I'm, I... Uh, let's stop here and we'll continue next time with episode 151 and thank you for joining us.